Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards, as I say every week now, is off working on the Sound Health Portal. And every week when I see it, there's some new chart or amazing bit of information that she has got in there. It's it's truly it's an amazing portal now to be able to do this all, do the vocal profiling online. And you can find out about that by going to soundhealthportal.com. And I recommend that because you can go there and if you go to, so you go to soundhealthportal.com, you click on services, and under that you'll see campaigns. And campaigns are currently free trial runs that you can do. And I've noted some of the campaigns. A few of them right now are biodiet, neuroplasticity, PTSD, and golf. I know, golf, but I know golfers that have actually improved their swing by having looking at their vocal profile or actually getting a print out of their vocal profile and then taking it to their practitioner. Fixing muscles that were out of alignment or out of balance or adding a nutrient. Our body really is a system if we listen to it. So you can pick one of those campaigns, sign up for a free account, do the two 45-second recordings. They walk you all through this right on the Sound Health portal. Submit it, and within a couple of hours to 12 hours, you'll get a report back with a boatload of information on whatever your choosing is. I like to do neuroplasticity every once in a while because I like to keep the brain flexible and vital and happening on all cylinders. Great opportunity to see what you'll get in terms of the kind of information you see, things you didn't know, things you didn't even think of. I always get some of those like, oh, my goodness, I need more vitamin K, too. Wow. With the campaigns, it's free. I'm, I'm a big fan of the soundhealthportal.com. And this is where I say this is one of those shows where you're going to definitely want to listen to the replay because Ross Pelton is just loaded with amazing amounts of information on all sorts of categories. And we're going to cover it'll evolve. I, can't, I don't want to give it away right now, but I think we're going to go a particular direction. And you can find out more about the replays of the shows. You can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on Sound Health Radio. And we've now added a tab both for Pocket Casts and for Stitcher. And that when you click on that link, it'll take you to the current show, but it'll also take you to a landing page for either of those platforms. And this is on your computer or your phone or your laptop. You'll be able to see a list of the shows that we have and be able to play them for either one of those. I tend to prefer Pocket Casts. I've been using Pod- Pocket Casts since it first came out. And it's cross-platform, and it also works on your computer. And you'll be able to see the current show there, and you'll be able to listen to it and or share it with your friends. And as I say, this is one of those shows. Ross Pelton is a thought leader in the world of gut health with a pharmacist's mind, because I think it gives you such an amazing foundation for comprehension of how things work. With that, Ross Pelton, RPH, PhD, CNN, graduated from the University of Wisconsin in 1966 with a degree in pharmacy, and in 1984, he received his PhD in psychology and holistic health from the University of Humanistic Studies in San Diego, California. He is also a certified clinical nutritionist. Ross is the author of 13 books. He's the world-leading authority on the topic of drug-induced nutrient depletions, and his book titled The Drug-Induced Nutrient Depletion Handbook, 2nd Edition, 
is an important reference book that informs health professionals which nutrients are being depleted by the drugs people are taking. In October 1999, Ross was named as one of the top 50 most influential pharmacists in America by American Druggist Magazine for his work in natural medicine. From 1988 to 1994, Ross was the hospital administrator at Hospital Santa Monica in Baja, Mexico, which specialized in alternative non-toxic cancer therapies. Ross is a longtime member of the Medical Advisory Board for the Life Extension Foundation, and he's deeply involved in life extension therapies and products. Ross is currently the scientific director for Essential Formulas based in Dallas, Texas. Ross joins us to discuss how we can integrate natural medicine into our lives. Good morning, Ross. Hey, Richard. I've been looking forward to our talk here uh, with great interest and uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you and to share some information with your followers. It's going to be, we, I'm already in my mind, I already have the feeling we're going to have to do more than one talk, one conversation, because you have such a vast area and we have such an amazing, you know, crossing of information that I, I find it quite fascinating. Yeah, my, I, my I kind of agree with you. Is, <laughs> my first question is, this is not what I had planned, but I, I see the title up here of one of your books. How much... How much trouble did you get in or grief did you get when you wrote the book, The Pill Problem, How to Protect Your Health from the Side Effects of Oral Contraceptives? Ah, well, I mean, you were a, you're a pharmacist. How did you yeah, write that and not be nailed <laughs> to the wall? <laughs> yeah, Richard, I call, call myself now a recovering pharmacist. Um, <laughs> yeah, but <clears throat> a little background and history on why I wrote The Pill Problem. Um, I'm the author of two books on the topic of drug-induced nutrient depletions. And when I wrote the Drug-Induced Nutrient Depletion Handbook, I was astounded to learn that oral contraceptives deplete more nutrients than any other class of drugs. And for a long time, I've been really committed to women's health problems and trying to promote um, education about how women can improve their health. And um, I wrote How to Prevent Breast Cancer a number of years ago. And so when I, I realized that oral contraceptives are really having a, a significant negative impact on the health of millions of women because of oral contraceptives, I, I was just inspired to write a book to educate women about how they can avoid the side effects of birth control pills. And I'm not necessarily saying that no woman should take birth control pills. I understand the, the convenience of them and, and, and lifestyles of many women with working careers and so forth. They, they need to have oral contraceptives, but they should understand the risks associated with them and, and be proactive at taking steps to avoid some of the side effects. So that was the, the genesis of my book, The Pill Problem. And by and large, it got pretty favorable results in terms of uh, testimonials and uh, and alternative healthcare practitioners supporting it, but I'm not a, a big-time author, and so it's very hard to, to break into the, the top authorship, big distribution of books and, and get into a really successful book. Um, I learned that lesson the hard way when we wrote my book, How to Prevent Breast Cancer, which was published by Simon & Schuster, and I really thought that we had the potential to have a bestseller. 
and I talked to my editor and indicated my interest in getting a budget for an author book tour and didn't make much progress, so I asked to speak to her supervisor and then his supervisor and then her supervisor, and I kept being a squeaky wheel with Simon & Schuster. And one day, a senior vice president at Simon & Schuster gave me a call. He introduced himself, he was very polite, and he acknowledged that uh, he understood that I'd been kind of a squeaky wheel and trying to get a budget for a book tour for our book, How to Prevent Breast Cancer. And he said, look, I need to explain how the game is played here at Simon & Schuster. He said, we put about 95% of our budget for marketing and advertising into four or five of our top authors. You're not one of them. He said, we don't make books happen. If you start to make your books happen and it catches fire, we might consider putting some time and effort into it. But, but as a publisher, we don't really make books happen. So that was a, an enlightening conversation for me, Richard. Um, and I learned um, how, more about how the game is played at big publishers. And so it was, it's very few publishers that really hit the big time and, and are successful with millions of copies of books sold. And so... The pill problem is out there, but um, I'm not really skilled at marketing and promotion, and so uh, it really hasn't seen the the acceptance and the widespread um, availability that I'd like to see it get. Yeah. It goes with the adage that I'm uh, known for using quite a bit. This more relates to uh, lobbying and government, but it's the follow the money it's amazing yeah, sure. how much of the sure. you know all of anything that's called an industry, you can somehow down the road link the follow the money to that uh, to anything exactly. that is actually called exactly. an industry. It's amazing. In fact, you see more and more pharmaceutical companies started to buy up nutritional supplement companies. The the natural products industry gave some momentum and some dollar volume. Uh, pharmaceutical industry is getting more interested. Or such a trend as Bayer, Bayer sure. who we used to think of as Bayer Aspirin, children's aspirin and all that as being <laughs> kind of a semi-friendly country company, buying the uh, company that makes uh, glyphosate. But we'll save that for yeah. later. I'm not saying yeah. that as a trigger word for now. We'll do that later. We're going to dive into that. My real question, my follow-up question or secondary question was, was there an incident or something that led you from pharmacy to want to add your Ph.D. in psychology and holistic health? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, there's an interesting story. Um, for a number of years as a young adult, I was a standard American junk food junkie, fast food kind of guy. And in 1979, 1980, um, through kind of a fluke, really, I got introduced to yoga. And through yoga, I met people who ate healthy food and exercised regularly, and they read health books and health magazines and health newsletters. And with my scientific background in pharmacy and medicine and biochemistry, all of that information about health just made sense, and it's been making sense ever since. So that started my path down uh, a passion of learning more about health, and as I learn it, I like to talk about it and teach it and write books about it and teach seminars on it. And so for the past uh, 40 or 50 years now, 40 years, I guess, I've been somewhere between passionately and neurotically <laughs> following the, the path of health. And as science progresses rapidly, we're getting more and more ability to scientifically 
scientifically document and explain why natural therapies work. And my premise and my passion is educating people that if there's any health problem at all, natural therapies should be utilized first, not the prescription pad and going down the traditional medical model. Well, and yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it blows my mind at the idea of, to, to me, the pharmaceutical side of Western medicine. Western medicine is a whole separate conversation in a certain way in my mind. But when I talk about the drug side, it seems to me that the drug side is the often the nuclear option. Like we can't do anything else, do that. Whereas myelene has always been, particularly since after I got my degree as an herbalist, is how about we try changing your diet first? Yeah. What do you think? What a concept. How about <laughs> stop drinking Coca-Cola? You know, just yeah. try that. Just try stop drinking Coke. And I'm, I'm old enough that people were still smoking cigarettes like a thing. Well, they still yeah. do now, but now it's called vaping. Um, but it just seems like there are a lot of things that we can do before we have to nuke the system. Um, yeah. This, this makes me think of, because I know we're going to talk about this, as a kid I grew up on the Monterey Peninsula and we would drive up and visit my grandparents in the, what is now called the Silicon Valley. And as we would drive through the Salinas Valley, I would see two things. I would see the hills covered in plastic before they would put down strawberry plants because they would gas them with, gas the earth of methyl bromide to nuke it. And the reason that they had to nuke it, meaning killing every pathogen, good, bad, anything. They just completely sterilized the soil. And they had to do that because now, as I, I think now, and I learned years ago, but I, I clearly think now, is that the strawberries were so immunosuppressed they couldn't survive in a soil that had anything that might go against it because they were just hybrid yeah, to be like big, right. dumb <clears throat> strawberries. And actually, I just wrote an yeah. article on this topic that was published in the complimentary medical journal, the Townsend Letter, and the title of my article mm. was the, the Perfect Storm. And I talked about all of the things that have changed environmentally since about the end of World War II that are all contributing to killing the microbiome of the soil on the planet worldwide and creating dysbiosis in humans that creates leaky gut and intestinal permeability, which is the linchpin for all of our chronic degenerative diseases. So there's a whole chain of events that, that are totally tied into what your your observation about the strawberries. You, you've, you've killed the soil, and the micro, microbiome in the soil is as important for the growth of plants as our human microbiome is for our growth and our health. And, and things like glyphosate are totally killing the microbiome in the soil, and I think it's one of the worst sins against mankind in the history of human evolution. And I'll get right back to that. But I, the other thought I want to state is that also the other thing that I observed is because I'm that old, <clears throat> biplanes would still be dusting the fields yeah. in the Salinas Valley. And I would be driving through, and it would be great fun to stick your head out because they flew right over the road. There was no safety involved back then. It was just like they did what they did, and they'd fly right over the major artery between the Monterey Peninsula and Northern California, literally right over the road. And I'd get sprayed with what I now, many years 
after that realized was DDT. So on our trips to visit, my grandfather was like, wow, getting tested with the DDT was, the, was my future self thinking that. But at the time, I had no idea. And yeah. we just, we, I think it was, it was the late, mid, mid-ish stages of the technical, you know, the revolution, technological revolution, as they might call it, when the solution to everything was kill it and then we'll grow whatever we need. And it was the same thing. I mean, Salinas Valley is the largest producer. I'm not proud of this, but the Salinas Valley is the largest producer of iceberg lettuce in the world. Mm-hmm. Not a great nutrient, not a great food, but it used right. to be kind of. I remember. I'm old enough that I remember when iceberg lettuce actually did have some flavor, when it was not just something that was shown in a taco at Chipotle's. Yeah. And that same thing of we we began this thing. We're going to jump right to talking about your paper on the perfect storm. I mean, I hadn't planned on going here right away, but it's so it's so the thing. I mean, I just I don't understand how we can do this and think that down the road we're not going to have, be an effect of this. And I'll lead into uh, I'll let you take the mic in just a sec by saying my grandmother lived to be 106 and was still shoveling snow on her front porch at 100. Now, she was a pioneer. She did come across the United States in a wagon, but lived until the 70s, in the 1970s. And I don't think my grandparents or your grandparents had leaky gut. I just don't. You're right. Because they lived in an era before we started destroying the microbiome of the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, please talk to us about the perfect storm and permeability and dysbiosis and all that yeah well and you know richard there's two other metaphors that i use to describe how this whole situation has kind of evolved one is the story of putting a frog in water and then turning on the heat and as the water heats up slowly the frog is not aware of it and it will will boil it it will die because it is not aware of the gradual increase in the temperature of the water but if you throw a frog into a pan of boiling water it hops right out so it's it's the slow increase of environmental toxins that has kind of made most people unaware of it and the other metaphor i use is the term a sucker punch and a sucker punch is when you're really not expecting something, and all of a sudden, from behind you or out of the blue, somebody comes up and smacks you. Um, that's kind of what's happened with environmental toxicity and environmental pollution. It has kind of crept along, and the government tells us we don't have problems, and the water is safe, and glyphosate's not a problem. But it's a big problem, and now it's to the point where it's about ready to, to deliver a knockout blow. And so in my, my article, The Perfect Storm, and in fact, The Perfect Storm was really the third in a three-part series of articles that I wrote for the Townsend Letter. I initially wrote a, an article on drug-induced nutrient depletions to introduce their, their readers to that topic and the fact that most prescription drugs are depleting nutrients from people's uh, bodies. The second article was on a new class of drugs that I created. The class of drugs I created, and my number two article was on microbiome-disrupting drugs. 
So I started mm-hmm. to categorize all the, the drugs that distinctly disrupt the microbiome and how and why that happens. And then the third article, The Perfect Storm, went a little bit deeper into explaining the gradual increase in environmental insults that is affecting our overall health. And the main factors are ruining the microbiome in the soil and factors like antibiotic drugs and a wide range of other microbiome-disrupting drugs that ruin the microbiome in your human gastrointestinal tract, which lead to leaky gut, intestinal permeability, and then all of the other diseases, cardiovascular disease, metabolic diseases, autoimmune diseases, they all go back to the core of the microbiome in the human gut. Things like autism and ADD and ADHD, psychiatrists are trying to fix the brain of these kids. It's not the brain, it's the gut. I'm not saying that the brain and emotional problems aren't part of it, but they have to focus on the gut as a primary part of all healing protocols. And in the perfect storm, I talked about the fact that we have an epidemic of epidemics. This environmental toxicity and ruining the microbiome in the human gut and the soil on the earth is creating an epidemic of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and arthritis and autism and Alzheimer's disease and on and on and on. We've got an epidemic of epidemics, and it's all related to the environmental health and the gut microbiome in humans. And you use a phrase I've read and listened to so much of your material now, I can't remember where this came from, but you used a a phrase that was really an aha moment. It made so much sense as soon as I heard it or read it, that the gut-brain thing is really a bi-directional system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could you talk, would you please talk about that? I think that's a... Sure. I mean, it's all all spooky, but that's like such a fascinating amazing idea when you get it like, oh, what? Please. Yeah. Well, um, this ties into the microbiome and the importance of, of a healthy ratio of good, healthy probiotic bacteria in your gut related to the pathogens. And roughly, we think the ratio should be somewhere between 85 to 90% good bacteria and only 10 or 15% bad bacteria. Everybody has some bad bacteria. Balance is the key. And if you have predominantly good bacteria, a small number of bad bacteria won't cause any problems. But the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body. It runs from the brainstem all the way down the spine and uh, connects with all of the organs in your, um, your, your lung and your liver and your heart and your GI tract and so forth. But what scientists have discovered is that there's a, a two-way communication between the gut and the brain. And so we call this the, the bidirectional communication superhighway between the gut and the brain. And the thing that's so fascinating about this, Richard, scientists have discovered that about 20% of the nerve fibers in the vagus nerve are sending information from the brain to the gut. But the other side of that, and what is so ultimately fascinating, this means that 80% of the information on the vagus superhighway is information that the gut is sending to the brain. 
So 80% of the information in the gut is regulating brain function, moods and emotions and sleep patterns and so forth. And a gentleman, a medical doctor by the name of Michael Gershon, wrote a book called uh, The Gut, Your Second Brain. And the gut does have a totally independent set of neurons, millions and millions of neurons. And scientists have done studies in animals where they have severed the vagus nerve and find out that the information in the gut is still able to function on its own. So it's an independent organ, a nervous system organ in the gut. And the vagus nerve is the primary way that the gut communicates with the brain, and we're starting to get a greater understanding of how important your gut is for regulating brain function. And um, in psychiatry now, they're talking about psychobiotics, how certain probiotic strains have specific influence in regulating brain function and moods and emotions and other uh, emotional mental states. And so, yes, it's a very big topic. It's just exploding in terms of the, the amount of research and studies that are being published in this area. Um, most of the research to date has been done on animals, but there are some human studies that have been conducted now also, uh, just documenting the fact that the gut has a major influence in brain function. Well, and as I thought about it, and as I think about it now, the idea of the gut-brain communication. So, if there, so let's say we have intestinal intestinal permeability, which I'll try to ask you to talk more about in just a sec. So we have something going on in the gut that's not right, and the brain is sending a mess. I mean, the gut is sending that message to the brain, but the brain's like, I don't know what that is, but I know it's bad. So therefore, it would seem to me that you would start creating some low-level sense of anxiety in the system because of our anxiousness or adrenal stress or just an amazing potential of cascade effect from the gut sending a message to the brain going, alert, alert, alert. But the brain doesn't know where to look up in the manual to see what that particular alert, particular alert is yet. Am I, yeah. Is that true? No, that, that's a great uh, analogy, and, and that's actually what happens if you have too many bad bacteria in the gut, in this condition called dysbiosis, then you have bacteria in the gut that are creating inflammation. And those inflammatory signals go from the gut to the brain, and you're causing inflammation in the brain. If you have leaky gut, you've got leaky brain. If you have gut inflammation, you have brain inflammation. So that's exactly what happens. And the, so there's this, this alarm reaction, as you mentioned, and the, the brain does, can't interpret it, doesn't know how to respond. It just knows that there's a firestorm of inflammation happening and that inflammation is being transferred. Those me inflammation messages are being transferred to the brain. And then you get inflammation in the brain and you've got autism and you've got ADD and ADHD. And the brain is exquisitely sensitive. And when things get out of whack, um, then you have a lot of problems that can develop. And because of biochemical individuality, there's a wide range of different types of problems that will develop in different types of people from leaky gut and from these inflammatory signals going from the gut to the brain. But it's a major problem, and it's starting to be recognized uh, that this is one of the underlying causes of the aging process. So we really have to 
take much more uh, focus on the diets and the guts to try to clear up this epidemic of epidemics. Well, and we understand to a certain extent that if we have an inflamed knee, that sh- we can see it. We know what that is. Now, some might go get a cortisone shot. I would take a handful of serapeptase or natokinase or some sort of enzyme, digestive enzyme, to help reduce inflammation. And I'd go see my chiropractor and have it adjusted or checked. But the gut is in there, hiding. Not really hiding. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I don't know. It's almost like a mic drop. It just blows my mind that we have this... You know, it's trying to communicate. It's it's attempting to communicate with us. I mean, yeah. it's funny that is, as children or as when we're younger, we get a feeling in our gut, but we don't know that that really does mean something. It's yeah, just something we have. You know, a lot of it's people more say, than just oh, a I metaphor. My gut, man, it's just not right. Yeah, it's yeah. just a metaphor for like I feel something's weird in my gut. No. Really, we do feel something weird in our gut. Our brain just doesn't have a box yet to go, alert, that means this. You just yeah. ate bad gluten. Or, you know, it's yeah, it's a feedback system, but it just doesn't have the, what is it telling us yet? Are, yeah. are people trying to figure that out, or is it we, we really are better off going towards your growing food and eating clean? and Are, are we better off for now? going that direction, do you think, rather than waiting to try and figure out what those signals are? Well, the, here's a little bit more information that will tie into this. Um, and I talk about fiber as the number one nutritional deficiency in our culture. And a lot of people give me pushback and say, well, fiber's not really a nutrient. Fiber is the primary nutrient for the 100 trillion bacteria in your gastrointestinal system. Fiber is the primary food for your probiotic bacteria. And I constantly tell people, if you don't learn how to feed your probiotic bacteria well, they will not thrive and survive. And the food for your probiotic bacteria are the fibers that are found in fiber-rich foods, especially fruits and vegetables, with vegetables being the most important source. And But it's also not just quantity of fiber. It has to be diversity of fiber. We really understand that a diverse microbiome is the healthiest microbiome. In fact, in all ecosystems, diversity equates to better health. In the Amazon rainforest, there's an amazing amount of diversity in that ecosystem. And one of the problems is that we're destroying the Amazon and reducing the, um, the diversity, biodiversity. But in the human gut, diversity is also critical. We now know that the microbiome in indigenous cultures have a uh, gut diversity that is twice that of most Americans. And so I'm focusing on fiber. Many of these indigenous cultures ingest five to ten times more fiber every day than most humans. And so when I call fiber the number one nutritional deficiency, I call it the fiber gap. And one of the studies I presented in a lot of my seminars documented the fact that 90% of American children and adults do not consume the recommended daily amount of fiber. So 
this is just one of the big problems with dysbiosis and leaky gut and poor gut-brain communication. It's not just the environmental toxicity like glyphosate and, and killing the microbiome in the soil. It's also the fact that humans in developed countries are relying too much on fast food and processed food. They're not getting a diversity of fiber into their diets, so they're not promoting a diverse microbiome. And you have to have different types of fiber to promote the growth of different types of bacteria so that those bacteria can produce a wide range of different types of metabolites. And this is one of the, what I call the new frontier in microbiome science. The, the compounds that the bacteria create are the master health regulating compounds in the entire human body. So it's not so much the bacteria that are important, it's the compounds that the bacteria create which we call postbiotic metabolites that are the master health regulating compound for the human body. And the only way you can get a diverse range of postbiotic metabolites produced is to consume a diverse range of different types of fiber so that those different fibers will promote the growth and proliferation of a diverse range of different types of probiotic bacteria so that they can produce these diverse range of postbiotic metabolites, and regulate your health. So that's a, that's a real big part to the puzzle. I say there are two pieces to the puzzle when it comes to probiotics. It's the probiotic bacteria and the fiber that's required so that they can then produce the postbiotic metabolites. So that's the end of that little diatribe. <laughs> no, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of the diatribe. Um, and... Can we, I don't know, this is sort of a sidebar, concurrent with fiber. Now can we talk about grains? As I think in the, in the classic old food pie chart, whichever direction it's going now, um, grains was like our primary source of fi thought as a primary source of fiber. We seem to have forgotten about produce and celery and, you know, the basic sort of foods of, that are fibrous to begin with. But can we yeah. talk about grains as a source of fiber? Sure. And then, uh, and then in there, I'm certain we'll talk about gluten. Yeah, you bet. Um, so grains are not all bad. Um, there's some people that are talking about lectins and, and trying to get people to totally eliminate grains. I think that has to be a, an individual thing. I think there's certain people that are far more sensitive to lectins than other people. Um, but... Um, the main thing about grains, Richard, is that there's a mammoth difference between processed grains and whole grains. If you're eating bagels and white bread and um, you know, any white flour products, all those processed grains have very little nutrient value and a very high glycemic index. And they, they get converted into sugar very quickly, which will elevate your blood sugar and take you down the road to metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. Um, and th these processed grains also are very high in the omega-6 fatty acids and devoid of the omega-3s. And the omega-6 fatty acids promote inflammation and inflammation creates leaky gut, which takes you down the road to all the other chronic degenerative diseases we talked about a little earlier. So any processed grain should be 
totally eliminated from the diet. I, I, you know, you might go out to, to dinner once a month and have a few pieces of French bread or, um, you know, you, you can sin once in a while. But so many Americans really on a daily basis are consuming um, cereal grains and, and breads and bagels and so forth that are all processed grains and they're high glycemic index foods. They elevate blood sugar. They have no nutrient value to speak of. So that's my take on grains, Richard. In moderation, if they're whole grain products, they're fine. But an overconsumption of processed grains is a prescription for an early death. And do we need to separate out non-GMO grains? as a separate category, like just avoid all processed grains, stop pouring your breakfast cereal out of it. Can we, can I, I'll say, I'll take responsibility for saying, stop pouring your grains out of a cardboard box. Is that bad? Yes, yes. In (laughs) fact, here, I actually, a couple of months ago, I had a conference with a naturopath, and he used a term that I picked up on and I'm using now. He used the term food without labels. If you stop to think about Mm. it, that makes sense. You know, a carrot, a red bell pepper, a watermelon, potato, food without labels, whole food that nature grows, that's grown in nature. When If you buy it and it's got a label on it, it's going down the road to not so healthy. Um, but, yes, everybody should be avoiding GMO foods. That's another huge uh, major health risk. So there's glyphosate that's a health risk. There's GMO foods that are health risk. We really need to avoid these. It's it's a terrible, terrible risk factor. And there's so much marketing going on by big companies with enormous bank accounts. It's hard to to get the message out that there's tremendous health risk with these products. And the only way we can make a difference is voting with our feet. Stand up and walk out. Don't buy those products, and then they'll stop making them. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. This just rolled in in my brain is when I think about the amount of hype that's behind the Impossible Burger. Um, it, and, and the audience is familiar with it because I interviewed uh, Zen Honeycutt right after she got in trouble by taking an Impossible Burger and have it tested for glyphosate and finding it and then immediately was attacked. Moms Across America was immediately attacked by the company making the Impossible Burger, and then two days later, Dr. Mercola wrote a long article defending her and wanting to take them to task. So it is really amazing how there's so much gamification, was what I'll call it, of trying to justify, no, look, this is good. Here's a vegan burger. But what's in the vegan burger? Just because it's a vegan, well, A, vegan is a whole other issue. Um, yeah. But it can be so tricky. But yep. it is really amazing how they, they want us to believe that, well, you and I could do a whole show just diatribing <laughs> about <Yeah>. the terror <laughs> of what is being sold to us in the name of, you know, I love that food without labels. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big proponent of farmer's markets. Oh, yeah. I happen to be in an area where we have several really nice farmer markets, farmers markets, and I like to go shake the dirty hand that's picked that tuber that morning or that whatever. Yeah. It's just it's so refreshing just to like meet the people who farmers have amazing amounts of joy. It's incredibly hard work. 
but they, for the most part, have amazing amounts of joy in what they produce. They really are the quirkiest people on the planet about that. They really are. Mm-hmm. They hold that sort of slightly dirty sweet to, sweet potato and hand it to you, and they're so happy at how what yeah, they just really get great bliss out of what they yep. do, and I'm glad they do. I agree, and you know, and they live in nature too. They live in harmony with nature, and that's a big part of a a happy, healthy lifestyle, I think. And they have their hands in the earth. Yep. I mean, in good, clean, healthy earth. How can you be more healthy than having your hands in good, clean, healthy earth? It's an amazing yep. thing. Um, I want to lean in the in the time that we have, which is still a chunk of time, but I want to talk about your work at the at Central Formulas. Sure. Because I think the work that is that you're doing there and he, the founder is doing there with these kinds of Mm, I can't actually call them probiotics because I think they have a slightly different action. Uh, but talk to us about Essential Formulas, if you would, please. Sure, Richard. Well, um, Essential Formulas is a Dallas-based company. I'm their scientific director. And we market uh, premium probiotics. Um, and there are two main products that I want to talk about. One is called Dr. O'Hara's Probiotics. Dr. O'Hara is a microbiologist from Japan, and 30 years ago, he developed a new way of creating a probiotic product, uh, which is a multi-year fermentation process. He got this idea when he was in Malaysia and got exposed to fermented food products over there that are grown with locally grown Malaysian fruits and vegetables, and actually Dr. Hira was originally a landscape architect, and he got exposed to these probiotics in Malaysia. In fact, the story, he got violently ill when he was visiting Malaysia, and there happened to be a local shaman that saw him in a great deal of gastrointestinal distress. The shaman gave him a black syrupy pasty substance that he took orally, and it quickly relieved his symptoms. And Dr. here was, first of all, very surprised at how quickly he recovered from being violently gastrointestinally distressed. So he took some of this stuff back to Japan with him and played around with it and studied it and got frustrated because he didn't have the scientific background to study it the way he wanted to. So at age 49, Dr. Ohira is a very successful landscape architect with an international reputation. And at age 49, he went back to school and got his Ph.D. in microbiology and started studying this fermentation process for producing probiotics. And that's how Dr. Ohira's probiotics got started. And so 30 years later now, we have Dr. Ohira's probiotics on the cutting edge of microbiome science. Because what Dr. O'Hara discovered and created is that um, his process of creating a probiotic product, Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, has a sterile warehouse with large 80-gallon fermentation vats. And they start the process by using dozens of different types of organically grown foods that are picked at their peak of ripeness and shredded and added to the fermentation vats, and then 12 strains of synergistic probiotic bacteria are added to these fermentation vats 
and the bacteria get to digest and ferment these fiber-rich foods for three to five years. The original formula is a three-year fermentation process that's sold at the retail level at health food and vitamin stores. The five-year fermentation process is called the professional formula, and that's only sold through healthcare professionals. But the, the, the importance of Dr. O'Hara's multi-year fermentation process is that the bacteria get several years to break down the fibers in the foods and produce these secondary metabolites that we call postbiotic metabolites. And I mentioned earlier in our discussion that these postbiotic metabolites that are now being understood to be the master health-regulating compounds for the entire body. They influence and regulate every single organ system, especially the brain and the immune system. And Dr. O'Hara's fermentation production process allows the bacteria three to five years to break down the fibers in the foods and produce these postbiotic metabolites. And the end product of Dr. O'Hara's multi-year fermentation now We know that Dr. O'Hara's probiotics contain over 500 different postbiotic metabolites. And this is the difference between regular probiotic bacteria or regular commercial probiotic products that just have bacteria in a capsule versus Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, which are directly delivering over 500 postbiotic metabolites. If you take a commercial probiotic, that just has bacteria in a capsule. Those bacteria have to first survive, transit through the harsh acid environment in the stomach, and then if they successfully arrive still viable in the small intestine, then those probiotic bacteria have to seek out and find fiber-rich foods and start the process of converting those fibers into postbiotic metabolites. That all takes time. When you take Dr. O'Hara probiotics, you're directly delivering these postbiotic metabolites. And here's why postbiotic metabolites are important. Some of them have anti-inflammatory properties. Some of them directly kill pathogens. Some of them help to heal leaky gut. Some of them reestablish healthy gut-brain communication. Some of them specifically rebalance your immune system and, and support immune activity. Some of them detoxify toxins in the gut. There's a wide range of functions of these postbiotic metabolites, but it's these compounds that the bacteria produce that are doing all the work, all of the regulation of your health. So that's what differentiates Dr. O'Hara's probiotics from all other commercial probiotics because Dr. O'Hara's is really a fermented food probiotic product. And like all fermented foods, um, fermented foods contain postbiotic metabolites. That's why fermentation has been used for centuries as a method of preserving food because when you do fermentation, bacteria break down fibers and create weakly acidic compounds like short-chain fatty acids and nucleic acids and fulvic acids. And these weakly acidic compounds suppress the growth of pathogens and support the growth of probiotic bacteria. So that's how fermentation works as food preservation. And it works the same in your gut. It regulates your gut to create a healthy pH balance that supports the growth of your good bacteria and suppresses the growth of bad bacteria. So it's a critical part of your immune system. So that's the importance of these postbiotic metabolites and a little 
background on Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, which to our knowledge is the only product in the world that's created using a multi-year fermentation process so that you directly deliver these postbiotic metabolites. That's great. When I read about this, it really blew my mind because it's such a it's such an approach I like. I'm a big fan of fermented foods, whether it be kimchi, you know, the classic, what I would consider sure. the classic, like sauerkraut and kimchi and that kind of thing. I even make a fermented salsa where I first ferment the chilies and the garlic <clears throat> and things to, to a fermented state, and then I make you know, add everything yeah. else to it. So, so it's all, you know, I eat as much fermentation as possible because it makes sense that there's, it's helping break things down and it's giving you, you know, in, in this case, this seems, to me, it seems kind of like a combination of natto slug fest, slugs it out with kimchi in a very good way, <laughs> where you have all this amazing fermentation action, and this is part of the reason why I'm still a herbal proponent, is because I think the micronutrients in these formulas we don't even know about yet. Yeah, we haven't bumped into them yet. And yeah. any time, it's like having your hands in clean earth. I think micronutrients are the key to everything in a certain way. And it almost seems to me, I'm going to throw a bunch of words out that really don't belong together, but I can't help myself. This almost seems like this is a, a great way to, I would call it telomeres, but it's not truly telomeres, but it seems like it's almost going into our guts and tying the shoelaces that telomeres are often referred to of the biotics in our gut and going, here, look, here's a micronutrient that you're missing. We're not sure either, but here, there's a thousand, there's a bunch of micronutrients in here that'll help tie those shoelaces, and you'll be feeling better. Yeah. It, it makes so much sense. And Richard, here's another topic that I'm fascinated by that your listeners uh, might not be aware of. The term fulvic acids. It's a, uh, mm -hmm. Two years ago, we had uh, some independent research done on Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, and one of the things they reported is that one of the largest components in the final product of Dr. O'Hara's probiotics are a group of postbiotic metabolites called fulvic acids. And I really didn't know much about fulvic acids until I learned it was a major component in Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, so I started studying it. And it's an absolutely fascinating story. No life on earth would exist without fulvic acids. And bacteria produce fulvic acids when they break down organic matter in the soil. And the unique thing about these fulvic acids is that they are nanoparticles. They're very small. And yet fulvic acids contain more binding sites per molecule than any other molecule in nature. So one molecule of fulvic acids can bind 60 to 70 minerals. And because they're nanoparticles, they can easily cross cellular membranes. So fulvic acids are created by bacteria in the soil. They bind minerals and transport them across cellular membranes into cells of plants. And then when they're in the cell they will chelate and bind toxins and remove them from the cell. So we now know that fulvic acids are the main method of transporting minerals and wide range of nutrients into cells. Same thing happens in your gut. You have fulvic acids created by bacteria 
or you can take Dr. Ruhira's probiotics that contain fulvic acids, and they will bind these minerals and facilitate the transport of those minerals into cells. And so the fulvic acid story is just fascinating, and it was really exciting to me to learn that fulvic acids are one of the main components in Dr. O'Hara's probiotics. I think this is one of the reasons that Dr. O'Hara's is so effective at getting rapid response people that have gastrointestinal problems. We, we talk about dysbiosis, which is the umbrella term for gut problems like gas and bloating and diarrhea and constipation and pain and inflammation, um, all those gut problems, um, when you take Dr. O'Hara's probiotics, you get rapid relief because you're directly delivering these postbiotic metabolites and the fulvic acids will accelerate the uptake of nutrients and improve that whole part of the equation. So it's a fascinating story starting to learn about the importance of fulvic acids in nature. And that goes back to one of the horrors of glyphosate. When you apply glyphosate mm. to the soil and kill off the bacteria, the bacteria are not there to create these fulvic acids, and so you get nutritionally deficient plants and plants with a weakened immune system, and so then farmers have to go and put more pesticides and herbicides on the soil. There's just a, a huge negative downward spiral. Fortunately, there's a, a rising awareness of uh, a number of farmers that have transitioned from commercial farming to organic farming. It takes them several years to do it, but they're finding it's far more cost-effective and they get better yields by getting organic, healthy soil and growing organically grown food and not having to rely on pesticides and insecticides and herbicides. I know some farmers that regionally have... I live in Northern California in wine country. Well, most mm -hmm. of California is wine country now. Um, but I know a number of farmers who've converted from traditional, you know, regular farms where they kind of veered into petrochemical farming. And then they went, whoa, we hate that. And then they veered out. And again, it was yeah. because they were farmers with hands in the dirt and they didn't like the produce that they were, the products that they were getting as a, as a result of that. And they switched back quickly to a standard, you know, as I say, my grandmother didn't know what organic farming was because it was just farming. That's just what that farming. was yep. called uh, years ago. It was just yep. farming. It wasn't like, oh, I'm doing organic. And the thing. There was none of that. It was just farming. Mm -hmm. And you had beautiful, rich soil. I grew up with farmers in my front yard, literally as a child, picking artichokes. Same with me. Yeah, I grew up in Wisconsin. My grandfather, my uncles were on, lived on farms and were farmers, and you could drive down the highway and see uh, a tractor pulling a manure spreader, putting organic manure back into the soil. You never see that anymore. Yeah, you could always smell it since we lived yeah. in the apartments behind the field, and you could smell it when they did that. And I, I still to this day, I'm kind of like a dog when I smell that. I, my nose goes up into the wind, and I'm like, wow, they're fertilizing. Cool. And it's an acquired taste, but it's a, it's a good thing. I mean, you don't, you, I don't know what glyphosate smells like, and I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> so <it's, laughs> but that's amazing about fulvic acid. Yeah. Um, and, and with the doctor's formulas, now, uh, where can people find out more information about the essential formulas? Um, you can go to our website, which is essentialformulas.com. And if you're, any of your listeners would like some information, um, I've got several articles I've written that I'd be happy to forward to them. Uh, if they send me an email request at ross, R-O-S-S, -S, 
at naturopharmacist.net. I've got a couple of articles that I've written that really will explain all of what I'm talking about and the importance of postbiotic metabolites. Uh, happy to send that to people. Great. And if you were to start it, since we're careening in toward the end of the show, we don't have a hard out, but we are getting near that. If you were to start this, do you want to do? Are there times when you want to do what would be what I would think of as a loading dose, and do you want to do a higher dose to start with, and then taper back to kind of get a load in there to start, or? Well, if is that necessary? Um, it depends on who I'm talking with and, and making recommendations to. If if someone has gut problems, if, if I'm talking consulting with a, a client that has colitis or irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease, um, I'll recommend that they take five to ten capsules of Dr. O'Hara's twice a day, because you really want to power these postbiotic metabolites in to try to. Uh, create rapid microbiome restoration and mi- microbiome repair. Uh, for maintenance dose, is just two capsules daily of Dr. Here's probiotics is sufficient. So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If it's a, if you're really trying to reestablish a healthy gut uh, and people have gastrointestinal problems, then I would recommend a little higher dose. Mm-hmm. And. So once you get things resettled, what are some of the shifts that people will, are there physical shifts that people will notice in terms of bloating or discomfort? I mean, I suspect all those categories eventually will. Sure. The people with with diarrhea and gas and bloating can get fairly rapid response within, I'd say, two to five days or so. People really, Dr. O'Hara's really works fast and it's very effective. um, So people with serious problems they get fast response with Dr. O'Hara's. That's that's the the main claim to fame is that it is it, very good for maintaining a healthy microbiome, but it's one of the best things in the world. I think the best thing in the world to reestablish a healthy microbiome with people that have gastrointestinal problems. <clears throat> I'm pausing because everybody, <clears throat> I don't practice as an herbalist anymore. I act like one on radio. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I, everybody does call me when they have an issue. I practice for a long time. I, I still practice, but it's just privately. And everybody I know at this point, except for people on a pretty clean organic diet, eating grass-fed meats and all that, have some sort of GI something going on. So this just seems like a great way for, you know, take five of these for four days and then talk to me because yeah, people are looking for that's what that's one of the the um uh tricky is what i'll call it tricky aspects of we've been trained by western medicine in the pharma industry that you take and the ads on tv you take a pill and look you're all better you know very yeah. quickly we're looking for immediate <clears throat> results versus the idea of particularly from the herbal world where you have tonics that are long-term beneficial effects we just don't have that as a consciousness here. That if you eat kind of an organic diet most of your lives, if you know, if you grow up next to hippies who fed their kids organic and didn't eat out of boxes, they're probably you know never had any of those issues. Whereas yeah. once you start going in the grocery store and buying cans and boxes of things, it gets tricky. There's all yeah. sorts of weird and, stuff in those things. And you mentioned taking right. pills. People rely so much on these H2 blockers and the PPI proton pump inhibitors. Uh, those are, are t- 
top categories in the microbiome disrupting drugs. When you suppress acid, uh, you are promoting the growth of pathological bacteria and an upset microbiome. So those are classes of drugs that I totally recommend that people avoid. Yes. I, I've interviewed Jonathan Wright three or four times, and the first time I, I interviewed him was in the 90s, might have been the mid-80s, was when he wrote the book, The uh, Stomach Acid is Good for You. Yeah. And he's a, he's way, a real pioneer. Way back then about that, <laughs> real pioneer. A cranky yeah. guy, he could join right in this conversation. It would be great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we are at that point where I want to ask, where can people find out more about your work and how to work with you directly? Sure, Richard. My email, again, is ross, R-O-S-S, at naturalpharmacist.net. And my personal website and my bio and uh, my blog are on my my website is naturalpharmacist.net. So people can reach me there. um, And I'm happy to respond to email requests for some of the articles that will explain the information we talked about uh, in our discussion today, Richard. And the next time we're on... uh, I'd love to get into a discussion of glutathione and and talk to people about how important it is to boost their glutathione levels, which uh, slows down the shortening of their telomeres, which is a biomarker of aging. And also, there's a new article, new theory of aging that's just been published. It's called the microcirculatory theory of aging. And mm. uh, maybe next time we can talk about that uh, new theory of aging and the best way to increase your microcirculation to improve your long-term health. Absolutely. I'm penciling that in as we speak. (laughs) Everybody is talking about aging. There's a lot, there's so much conversation about aging, but so much of it has to do with more cognitive boosting than it does like just being healthy. I don't want to live to be 180. I just want to live well till Mm -hmm. I die. That's really what I'm looking for. So that's that's a great category. Microcirculatory. That's excellent. Uh, I'll send you a little information after the show on this. Thank you. That was, uh, as I said in our email backstage, uh, fun. (laughs) I have an odd sense of fun, but that was mine. That was really great. Thank you so much, Ross. And everybody else else have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.